0: Today we're going to wrap up our Elephant in the Family Room series, and uh, for the past month we've been talking about uh, things like anger and comparison and just getting into some different things that are maybe kind of, we've just been pushing to the side, but we really need to deal with. And uh, today is actually going to be a a unique kind of way for us to end, I feel like it's a fitting way for us to end this series, in that it'll kind of be you filling in the blank. (laughs) Um, it 'll be you filling in the blank about what that elephant is in in your life because I really felt God drew, drew me to speak about unity today because each one of us in our own lives and our own journey, we have certain things that that we 're kind of wrestling with that maybe nobody else is wrestling with, and what the enemy wants to do is to isolate you that 's like everything that the enemy wants to do if he can get you isolated, he can he can um, just begin to, to have his way. There's not that encouragement. There's not that unity and community that we're really all built up in. And so I, I want to begin to share about unity this morning. I remember when I was like 16, uh, just after I had um, just said yes to following Jesus and responded in faith and was really beginning to, to figure that out and, and walk in that. Uh, I remember sitting down with a buddy of mine at a coffee shop, and I don't drink coffee, but I was hanging out at this coffee shop with him, and we were, began to just talk. We, we both came from very different churches um, and uh, very different customs and kind of traditions uh, and styles of worship and everything, and and we just kind of began to just share our hearts, and it was something that God was doing in that time about unity in the body of Christ. And just our prayer that, man, we the things that divide us would not get in the way any longer, but we'd be unified as the body of Christ. And we wouldn't separate all these lines, but we would just truly come together um, for something that's far bigger than us. And I really believe that's what God's doing in our church. He's beginning to like break down these walls as we were just praying and worshiping, breaking down these walls that we might come together for something that's far uh, bigger than us, and so we just began to pray about that, and ever since, I've just had like a relentless passion, not just for the church, but for but for unity in the church, um, and, and I, I think if we're all honest with ourselves, the idea of unity sounds really good, but the practicalities of actually walking that out is far messier than what um, we really like to deal with, because um, w- we find that we don't unify, and I think even when we look at the early church, like, I think we can romanticize the early church as we look at Acts 2, 42 through 48 or 49, whatever it is, and they see that they shared everything in common, but you know what? As we begin to look into the New Testament of all these letters that Paul wrote to all these churches, we found out that they, didn't, they weren't unified about everything, and he was having to correct doctrinal issues and, and heresy that was going on in the church and different things, so he was having to correct things. So even when we look like, man, I just wish it was like the early church. Well, they were still wrestling through this. They were still wrestling through this. In fact, many times we think, oh, it was much easier back then. Now we've got all these kind of cultural things coming together and all these kind of things clashing ideas together. But really, back then, it was the same way. I mean, we had, uh, we had Hebrew culture, which was, uh, again, just one, one God One God, and and then we had really in in ancient Mediterranean society we had uh, the Greek culture, which was really philosophical, right? And there's many gods uh, for those of you that have studying the Greek stuff. Um, So it was arts, philosophy, and all these these many gods. And then we have Roman culture. And then the Hebrews, you're kind of here caught in between Roman culture, which is kind of strong honor and kind of political dominance and strength. Um, and then we have kind of the other side of, of Greek culture kind of combining. So many times we think in our culture that we have trouble being unified because of all these different places we come from. Um, in fact, it was something that they were wrestling with then too. Um, if you remember that that. The Jews had been spread out all over the place. Do you guys remember this? There was the, it's known as the Babylonian exile. Like they, everybody was spread out the captivity, and then they were spread out all over the place, known as the diaspora. So imagine just the church all over the place, and now we 're all in these different towns, and we begin to take on these different customs and some of us hang to our, our Hebrew customs and hang to our faith. Others of us begin to adapt new things. And so when they come back together, that, that's still something they're dealing with and trying to unify and rally around repentance and worship and around the Scriptures. And so hopefully I can do that for us as well today. So um, one of my favorite verses in Scripture is John chapter 17. I think there's all these times in which we get these pictures. We get these pictures of, um, of Jesus' heart and this is one in John chapter seventeen, verses twenty through twenty-three. Um, I, don't, I don't even think we have it up on the on the screen, but uh, let me pull it up. If you got it, John chapter seventeen, uh, verses twenty through twenty-three. And Je- we see all these times where Jesus is Jesus steps away to pray and find uh, just kind of some privacy. Um, but what's funny about all these is that the disciples overhear it; they overhear him praying. Uh, Jesus, uh, here in John 17, beginning with verse 20, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe um that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So the disciples are overhearing Jesus kind of preaching a message about unity (laughs) to the Lord, but it's just out of his heart. And his prayer, and what's his prayer? Is that you and I would be one as the Father and the Son are one. Like that's some intense unity Jesus is praying for. And, and, and he, he not only that we would have that unity, but it would be complete unity. And he, look at how he says that's gonna be happen. May they also be in us. May they, we are unified when we find ourselves fully in Christ. When we find ourselves fully our lives fully built on the word of God. That's when we're unified. Not as we're figuring it out ourselves, not as we're doing Jesus, uh, me and Jesus kind of thing, but as we're uniting ourselves to Christ in our full makeup. I've given them um, the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. He put his glory inside of us and then others would come to know that. Um, So we're gonna continue on And I actually want to move over to Romans chapter 14 and 15 here in just a moment. But I think we all love this idea of unity. It's this beautiful picture of kind of oneness. And so really what I want to take the time to do, because I feel like Paul, in in many places actually in the Scripture, um, encourages, not only encourages this unity, but, but really helps people walk out the practicalities of walking in this. So I think the elephant in the family room is going to be different for many of us. Because as we go to Romans 14 and 15, Paul's going to begin to use a little bit of terminology that it's important that I preface the terminology so that when we do begin to read it and get into it, we really understand what he's talking about and we don't have misconceptions. Uh, Two terms that he uses is he he labels believers as strong or weak, right? Everybody, when we read this, we'll be like, I'm the strong one. (laughs) We'll just immediately go to that. And it's important that here we don't get caught up in the idea that some of us are strong and some of us are weak Um, because sometimes we'll just look at this, how long we've been in the faith um, so that we're strong or because we feel like we're strong and therefore we're strong. And and I don't think he's necessarily talking about like an overall maturity thing. There may be a layer to that, but I think he's actually speaking about it on specific aspects of our life Um, that really someone even that's very mature in the faith could have certain hangups and certain things that are, are kind of um, controlling them or um, really distress them uh, in the body of Christ. And so he's referring to, to those that are having like particular matters of conscience or, or struggles in a particular area. That would be weakness. Um, and, and we'll get into that. Yeah, that will make more sense as we go. Uh, and the same thing, um, so strength and, and weakness. He's kind of using these two. And it's not a whole like maturity thing but really specific. Does that make sense? Like very specific things. Uh, the uh, other thing he, he begins to say is um, he begins to kind of differentiate something known as disputable matters. Disputable matters. So what we need to begin to di- di- differentiate when we talk about unity is what is a disputable matter and what is bib- like hard biblical truth. Hard biblical truth. Because that's what Paul is going to begin to tell us about. And he's going to refer to several things as what he considers to be disputable matters. And if you really think about them, they're kind of surprising, the ones that he brings up. He's going to bring up food, first of all, and meat, and not just meat, uh, and it's kind of funny that he kind of throws vegetarians under the bus. I won't get into that right now. I'm not doing it. It just sounds like he's throwing vegetarians under the bus, but there's a lot of culture and context to it. But he begins to talk about meat, and not just any meat, but meat sacrificed to idols, Right? I think for most of us in the room, if you're a believer in the house, you'd probably say meat sacrificed to idols that's been set aside for that. Terrible idea to eat it. Like, I'm not eating, right? I mean, most of us would be like, no. And Paul is actually saying, look, someone else is not going to have an issue with that like you're going to have an issue with that. And that's kind of this differentiation we begin to get into about disputable matters. So how do we really know if this is a disputable matter or if it's not? Well, first of all, I think the big thing is is this a matter that the scriptures speak clearly and directly to, okay? If it's a matter that the scriptures speak clearly and directly to, um, then I, I think it's a matter of biblical truth, right? And so even what we kind of consider essentials, there's much more outside of what the essentials, the things we live and die over, there's much more that are black and white issues of biblical truth. Is everybody with me? You stand with me? And then far past that in like kind of another category is disputable matters or, you know, what we might have as personal convictions. Um, He also goes on to reference not only uh, meat, but holidays. He he references holidays. You know, some of you guys might like to celebrate Valentine's Day and others in the room might be like, I'm not celebrating Valentine's Day or whatever it is. And they weren't just holidays. They were kind of pagan holidays. They were all these different holidays. And he goes into those so I think if we began to make a, a list of things that we have personal convictions about in the room, that list would get rather long, wouldn't it? Right? Because every single one of us have something unique in your life that God's given you like a conviction about. And, and there may be very much a, a place in scripture that speaks a, about it. But it also may be a matter, of, if we're not careful, we'll go in a different direction here, one of two extremes. It may be a matter that, hey, we can't, we can't afford to take that, whatever that personal conviction is, and blanketly assign it to everyone as a law when it was a matter of personal conviction or a disputable matter. We can't afford to do that because that's known as legalism, right? Legalism is let's just make this, all these laws, all these rules, everybody, uh, you know, try to live under them, and then nobody has freedom. The other way is kind of a weird word, but it's built off the word liberty, libertinism, Which So either this idea of legalism or libertinism, where we just take our freedom, and like, since I'm free in Christ, I can do anything and everything, and it doesn't matter who it affects, it doesn't matter personal convictions of anybody else or myself, and so we can go into one of those two extremes, and neither of those are the healthy, mature, biblical way to go. Is everybody tracking with me so far? You guys look like you're doing pretty well, Uh, and I believe the more we get into this, it's going to strike a chord. So before we go forward and and begin to dig into this, what's the elephant in your room? What's the elephant in your room? Um, I I remember my mom talking about her, she grew up in, uh, I think her dad got saved sometime when she was a child, and uh, her dad was really, really intense about her going to football games. It's a personal conviction for a lot of people back in the day, like just going to football games was like a, a matter of kind of rule, like we Christians do not go to football games. Um, And it was just a a matter that probably had become very legalistic. In your life, there's probably been something either that's been passed down or that you have a personal conviction about. If it's in your life, hey, maybe, like, I, I just don't listen to anything that's not Christian music. I just will not touch it. I won't do it. Does the scripture say, do not listen to Christian music? No, it doesn't really necessarily say that. It Does it say you look for something beneficial? Yeah. So just taking that one uh, as an example, and then you can do that with movies. You can do that with parenting making a, a choice to homeschool or, or put your kids in public school or private school or whatever you want to do we can begin to kind of paint with like a broad statement and and make we become legalistic when we push those over. So that's really the type of stuff that Paul is going to be addressing here. And the list goes on and on. If I were to go around this room and say, what's a personal conviction for each one of us? That list would get really long. And what Paul's, the reason he's bringing this up is because that's affecting our unity. These are like elephants in a room that he's, he's addressing a few, but I think if he did the same thing in the early church and said, what are the personal convictions for you? That list would get long for him just as well. He just probably doesn't have time to talk about all of them and get into them. He's, he's teaching us a statement and, and a way of life in which we live and unify to answer Jesus's prayer of unity. You tracking with me? Everybody with me? Um, and so we're going to get in here in just uh, a second. And w- when we get to reading um, Romans 14, we're all going to say it's about time. Um, but here, he, I want to help you identify first the elephant, and I want to help you identify where you're at in this process. Because this pro- what, what he's speaking about is not going to be just about unity, but I, I believe it's about growth. I believe it's about love uh, as well. So... I want us to help identify where we're at in this kind of spiritual growth place. And once we read the text, everything will become very familiar. If you're interested on the Bible app, a lot of these notes and a lot more are on that Bible app. So if we go by them too fast. So there's these seven boxes that I believe in Paul, in in Romans 14 and 15, he kind of labels and it helps us sort through this kind of matter of disputable matters and where we're at in this growth process. Box one is I can't and I struggle if you do. I can't, and I struggle if you do. Let's just take the meat example. I I feel convicted about eating meat. Meat sacrificed to idols, meat, period. I can't eat it, and if you eat it in my presence, it just ticks me off. I don't see how a believer, you know, because the Scriptures have some statements about that. We look into the Old Testament, but again, in Christ, in the New Testament, we have freedom. I, I can't do that, and I struggle if you do it. And I begin to kind of resent or judge other people that do. Box two, I can't, but you can. Look, I'm not gonna eat meat, but if you wanna eat meat, go on. You can go to hell if you want to, right? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We don't really say it, but sometimes we do. Like, we, we take our convictions and we begin to judge other people. But this is saying, look, I can't, but you can. Like, I can't. This is a personal conviction for me, but I'm not gonna judge you. Box three, I can, but it's a struggle for me. And this is one that, as we read the scriptures, we're gonna find that this one's not really cool. Like, if if, if, if you're doing it, and it's violating conscience, the the scriptures actually say that's a sin. And and, and so there's a very unique kind of thing here that's very specific, and and I'll explain it later on. Um, And and if we take it out of context, we'll be in trouble, so I don't want to go too far into it. Um, Box four, I can and you can. We're both free. We're both free. I can do it. You can do it. I can eat the meat. You can eat the meat. Let's enjoy some steak. Box five, I can. can do this, but I won't, because other might stumble or be offended. I can't. I have the liberty, and that's where the the one extreme of libertinism, where we take our liberty and just like I can do whatever I want, we're missing one of the things that Paul says here in that that about stumbling and be offended. Box six. I can't, so I won't until I can. See, this is different from I can, but it's a struggle for me, right? If it's a struggle, if you're violating conscience, then you probably I can't until I, I can. And then box seven. I can, and I'm going to help others find freedom. Like it's about growth, and so. On particular issues, on particular disputable matters, you're probably in one of these categories. Not probably, you're definitely in one of these categories. And so just pick one, pick that elephant in the room, whatever it is in your mind, and where you at, kind of in your place of spiritual growth and freedom. Because we are in Christ, and, and this text is about more than unity, it's about growth, and it's about each of us being free and unified. And so let's begin to get into... Um, Romans chapter 14 and 15, and we'll begin to read through, and I'll unpack a few points. I'm going to be pointing to the greatest commandment, you know, when Jesus was asked, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and all your strength. I'm going to be using those as kind of our our points today. Um, Let's read this. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters just kind of talked about what that is. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another's whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. He's saying vegetarians are weak. He's like throwing vegetarians under the bus here. I'm not saying it. He's saying it. Um, But again, remember, this is not like a a broad statement about physical strength or anything. It's about specific things. Remember, it's not about the general. Everything's going to start making more sense as you read the text. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who doesn't. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. We're going to get into hard stuff here. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. That's powerful stuff. One person considers each day more sacred than another. Again, getting back into the holidays thing. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord, and whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You, you, then why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we'll all stand before God's judgment seat. As it's written... Or it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. First thing in that walking out the greatest commandment, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So let's talk about a heart issue. Um, I, I really believe unity begins in the heart, right? It, it begins in the heart. It begins on what's going on in here. Um, and, and that's kind of where this all begins to, to start for us. Go ahead and throw that up there. Unity begins in the heart. Mike, you with me? The, unity begins in the heart. Um, everything's a heart issue for us. God's looking to what? The heart. He sees what others don't see. He sees the heart. So just because you're unified on the outside, that doesn't mean God's pleased. Just, just because you're shaking hands and playing nice doesn't mean that God's going to bless it. If, if you're not truly unified in heart, we can accept them because God does. I mean, he asks us a really tough, they're not your servant. <laughs> Who are you to judge? Because they're not answering to you. And so I, I think within every single one of us as human beings, there's this like little God, God complex we have going where we think that other people have to answer to us. And we're not. And this is like, they're not your servant. They don't have to answer to you. And it's freeing. I love the Psalmist prayer, Psalm 51, 10. He said, God, create a clean heart in me. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. God, help me just be steadfast with you, Lord. Help me not to look to the right, to the left. Let me just be focused. Let me just have a clean heart. Renew that clean heart in me. Psalm 51, I think you have it up there. Will you throw it up there? My, like, create a clean heart in me, oh God. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. I think we've got to ask in ourselves with each one of these points. Um, I started thinking what this whole text was about, and it was about growth. It's about love, and it's about unity. That spells glue, G L U. It's without the E. So, if you want to think through each one of these, what's God asking me to grow in the heart? I love back at John seventeen. You know how we, we really transform that Jesus puts his glory inside of us and we encounter his glory. It transforms us. You want to know really how to, to that heart to be transformed into his encounter him. Spend time with him. Seek his face. That's how our heart gets transformed is by his glory being inside of us and just revealing new things. We, we see a reflection of who he is uh, as we live that out in love That our our heart would no longer be judging, but there would be genuine love for one another. God grows us in that. In that unity that we begin to identify these elephants that are in our heart. The ways in which maybe we've been judging people. We've been treating them with contempt. The real Greek root, root here is Hatred. You ever had an, a, an issue that was just like a little issue? It's not a big deal, but slowly you just get more and more mad about it. That person that you're so close with, like, I don't get it. Why do they not see this is like a huge deal? And it just grows and grows almost to where you have hatred for that person. You ever been there? I bet many of us have. <clears throat> Begins when the heart. We begin to accept them because God does. But We all belong to the Lord. And so again, we're not talking about matters of biblical truth. We're not talking about black and white biblical scriptures. We're talking about disputable matters that may speak to context, that may speak with individual walk, right? One of the quotes that, that we use often around here is, in the, essentials, lib- uh, in the essentials, unity, in the non-essentials, liberty. So not only heart, the next one is, is mind. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, So if we're going to walk this out, let's read the scripture here. Therefore, let's stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Make up your mind. I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing's unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, for that person, it's unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Don't, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died, right? These trivial things, why would we destroy, why would we tear someone down and cause them to stumble? Let's keep reading just a little bit. Do I have it up there or did I delete it? I probably deleted it. I think I did. Yeah. It goes on to say, let me find my text here. My Bible's moving. 14, we're picking up at... um, Verse 16, do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating um, and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. We have to make up our minds. Secondly, our love to God. Remember, he not only says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, but also to love your neighbor as yourself. These are the greatest commandments. second one is Mind. We've got mind issues. Once we, once we really get to the place where we're unified in our heart, we've got to make up our mind that, that we're going to really not cause anyone else to stumble. Um, I, I remember uh, years ago when we moved to Georgia. We moved to South Georgia, and uh, things are a little different up there. Uh, I remember going to this like pastoral and elders retreat at the church. Uh, it wasn't at the church. It was actually at a lake house and, um, I noticed that everyone, um, all the guys, you know, I, I'll tell you, I, I grew up until I probably, I don't know if I was not at school, then I had my shirt off and I had my shoes off. I was, I lived in the suburbs, but I walked around everywhere, with my shirt off, and my shoes off. Well, we went to this lake house and, um, no one took their shirt off to get in the water. And some of you, this may be like a, a, a real conviction for you, and I'm not making light of it, but just telling you where I've come from, like I grew up with my shirt off, and like it was just so comfortable for me. I mean, it was just like normal. Um, but I went here, and I don't know if you've ever like had like a wet shirt on top of you. It's one of the worst feelings in the world. Um, it like immediately adds like 10 pounds to your body. You're just like, oh, this is like so uncomfortable. And so I, I felt that. Um, and No one was taking their shirt off, and I was like, I was just looking around like, why are we not taking our shirts off and jumping in the water? But I didn't do it because I, I didn't know. I didn't know. I just kind of follow in the customs and, and the scriptures speak a lot about that. Even when we go on mission trips Like, uh, we're going to Guatemala here in in a few weeks, and we're going to be telling everybody, hey, these are the customs that they observe, and we're going to kind of not just blend in, but we're really going to try to show proper respect to them, because we don't want to create a stumbling block, we don't want to offend them, right? We would do that elsewhere, we would do that if we went into another country, but even here, Paul is pointing that here in the body of Christ, like, there's probably some of that stuff. I think about my son, like some of you that have kids. One of the worst things, nothing will get rage stirred up in you more is when you step on a Lego at night. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like just rage. Just like, Nick, ah! like, you just want to throw all the Legos away immediately. And that's, he's saying don't put these stumbling blocks there. Don't, don't constantly just pull things out. He's saying make up your mind. Make up your mind to genuinely care. That's not showing love. Genuinely care to not offend the people around you, to not put a stumbling block in front of you. What's really interesting, so uh, sometimes, like m- my message series, just kind of birthed out of nowhere. Other times, um, they've been playing for a long time. This particular message in this series has been on my, my s- preaching schedule for about six months. But in the past, like two months, I've had about six different kind of circumstances and individuals that have come to me and they're dealing with what they kind of are recognizing are disputable matters, but they're becoming big. And what each one of these, it's been so beautiful to watch that just the love for Christ and the unity that's happened through every single one of them. That we're just making up our mind to not put a stumbling block. Jesus was really intense about this. And you guys are going to be blown away when you see how Jesus was so intense about the stumbling block thing. In Matthew chapter 18, he says, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, he qualifies it. He's like, I'm not just talking about little kids. Those that believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Yo, that's not Jesus petting a lamb holding the baby on his lap. Jesus is like, I'd rather you commit suicide than hurt one of my kids. Like that's, Jesus is like, all right, Jesus, like, get the point. He's being really, really intense about protecting his kids. Like you ever seen a mama bear? Right? You ever seen a mama bear come out? Like, we were actually on the golf course yesterday, and um, we were just walking by this like duck, like this uh, goose, and then there was like some little baby like, geese around, and that, that, geese, that geese, you ever seen a geese get mad, like a goose get mad? They just start quacking, like they get furious, right? God's, God's that much more furious about his kids. If we want to have his heart, we gotta make up our mind. Gotta make up our mind to be serious about this. And, And many times we just get worried about other people's stumbling blocks. But Jesus, furthermore, in Matthew 18, he goes on to talk about our own stumbling blocks. He's like, look, if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. And, and so let's not just take this as stumbling blocks for everybody else. Maybe there's some things in your individual life right now that are causing you to stumble, they're causing you to sin, they're causing division in your family, they're causing division in your heart, and we've just got to cut them off. I, and they're, diff- and they're di- different for everybody. There's probably different things going on. Um, I, one of my spiritual mentors, uh, he, I, I watched him... Sadly, I watched him die, um, in my, literally in my arms. Uh, it, was a, it was an emotional experience. We'll save that story for another day. Um, but he, he, he was a minister, a world-renowned worship leader, um, had been in every square inch of the world, seen, you know, eyes opened. You know, I mean, it was just an incredible ministry that God had given him. Uh, but he struggled with pornography well into his upper 50s, um, and he, he struggled with it. And uh, it, this was far before the days of technology where you can look at pornography on your phone laying in bed. Um, no, it, it was in the time where, like, the, the, ma- the dirty magazines and the gas stations and stuff. And so he, he had to go in there. And so he stopped going into the gas stations. Like, he would not get gas alone because this was before the swipe and pay at the pump. He would not go in a gas station. He wouldn't do it. It, for him, it became a hard law. Like, God convicted him. Like, that's what's leading to, to you stumbling. You are not to get your own gas any longer. That was really, that's cutting, that's cutting off the hand. I've never, like, had that desire, like, in a, in a uh, gas station to do that. You may not have that. But there may be something that, that God's not only telling you not let somebody else stumble, but, but Jesus cares that much about you. God cares that much about you that he's like, look, I'd, I'd rather someone die, like, physically die, and it cause one of my kids to stumble. It's like real protection that we're seeing. So let's make up our mind to not cause somebody to stumble uh, or to offend. So it's a heart issue. It's a mind. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind. Let's go to your strength. Go to your strength for just a second. And let's keep reading because I think he really begins to, to speak. Oh wait, I did put it there. Go ahead and skip on down to verse 19, I think. Let us therefore make every effort. Make up your mind. Make every effort to do what leads to what? Peace and mutual edification, encouragement. Keep going. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food's clean, but it's wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. Is that all I got there? Okay. Um, Make every single effort. First, you make up our, our mind. It starts in the heart. We make up our mind that we're not going to cause anyone to stumble. And I think it's a body issue. I was talking about the mama bear thing. Long before my wife had kids, she was a mama bear. I, I was telling you about this uh, circumstance at our previous church. And we were going into a, a different environment than what we were used to. And God had given vision for the, the church. And uh, we, we, I was not the most popular person um, there for some time. Um, people, in fact, there, there, were, there were strong critics of my ministry and what God was doing in us and where he was leading us. Um, and that it didn't stay like that. But at the beginning, it was very intense. It was very intense. Uh, and there were people, and you've probably been around someone like this, that they won't gossip directly. They won't talk junk directly, but they'll joke. You ever have one of these people? Like, they'll just kind of make a little sarcastic remark. And you just know, like, there's probably some truth to that. And, like, I don't know what they're trying to do, but it may be. You know, um, well, people learn really quickly, that's not going to fly around my wife. Um, Because one or two of those come out, and it's like, (sighs) like, she's just all over it. Like, you are not going to talk about my husband like that. You are not going to speak to him, um, speak about him in that way. And she'll just go, she'll start preaching a message on it, too. So just so you know, fair warning, if you ever, (laughs) what's, she was a mama bear, like, strength-wise, she was going to make every single effort for peace. Like, her and I are both peacemakers. It makes our home a very peaceful place. We have people that come into our house and be like, man, I love it here. It's just so peaceful. And, you know, like it just seems like you guys. Well, we're both naturally peacemakers. And I feel like, I don't know that I'm naturally a peacemaker. She's naturally a peacemaker. God's had to make me one because I'm I'm naturally an arguer and a fighter. (laughs) God's just transformed me. Um, But our house is a peaceful place because we're constantly fighting for it. Like, unity doesn't just happen on accident if you're not making efforts for it. Your marriage isn't going to be unified if you're not doing anything to help that go. Your your small group is not going to be unified if we're not making every effort, if we're not doing everything we can to keep people unified, if we're not having that heart and that mind of God to make up our mind to not put stumbling blocks, to have that heart of God. And, And I just saw that in her, and it's such a beautiful thing. But have you ever noticed how, like, gossip seem, and drama seems to follow certain people around. Have you ever noticed that? Like it just seems to, like when they get added to the group, all of a sudden there's some drama that's happening. Um, This environment, like who God's called us to be and who the church is to be, is to be a place of peace, like in the midst of the chaos of the world. Like people go searching for a place that's not so and chaotic and where people talk about each other's behind their back and can't trust anybody. They're longing and the answer is the body of Christ. The answer is Christ himself, but it's in the body of Christ that we should be a reflection of that. And that's Jesus's prayer in John 17 is that I put my glory inside of you and by that everybody else is gonna know because of your intentional, beautiful, edifying love for one another that the world around will see that. I just want to ask you, maybe God's asking you to grow and and maybe stop letting some things slide. Maybe stop letting some comments slide about a person. Maybe stop letting things just roll off your back or stop letting from your mouth beating down parts of your your own body, like in the body of Christ. I mean, you wouldn't take your, your hand and just let it just keep poking in the eye. Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 gives us this picture of the body that Josh, you're the hand. Gino, you're the foot. You know, David, you're the heart. Jason, you're the eyes. We each have these unique giftings and God's built us together. We wouldn't let our hand just sit there and poke the eye. So why not make every single effort for peace and mutual edification that you add something. There's not a lot of perks to being a pastor. (laughs) Um, I'm just kidding. There's a lot of perks. Um, But one of the... um, one one of the um, awesome things that God's done in in our life, just as kind of a bonus, is um, we have we've had hairdressers that have just served us, and like as we're their pastor, like I try to pay them, and they don't let me pay them. Um, and so th- this this gal um, at our previous church, uh, her name's Allison, and and we'd always say something to one another, and we just kind of got this thing going, and it became like this phenomenon around the church that everybody said it. That I'd just say I appreciate your ministry, like I'd try to pay, and she wouldn't let me. I'm like, well, I appreciate your ministry. She goes. Ministry, she says, I appreciate your ministry. And it became this thing that just began to get, like, building around our church that we just saw each of us had a role to play. And that they were a part of my body, and they they brought ministry to the table. And so maybe the challenge for us today is maybe stop looking to criticize and maybe just begin to edify that mutual edification that, hey, I'm not just going to go in and look for everything that's wrong in the, the nursery or the kids' building or with the coffee stuff, but I'm just going to speak encouragement to those that are serving there and, like, I appreciate your ministry. I appreciate your, what you're doing. That's, like, the biblical example of how we're to be walking with one another and encouraging one another, that unity's got to be fought for, and that's what Paul's leaning into. I'll begin, begin to close. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind. Um, with all your strength and, and with all your soul. And, and as we go to chapter 15, verses one and two, there's a few more verses there, but I'll, I'll leave them for another day. Jump up to chapter 15 and just a couple of verses here, and we'll begin to wrap up. And he says this, and I think it speaks to that soul issue, purpose. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good. To build them up. Some translations, we should live to please our neighbors. That's like pretty countercultural to kind of like contemporary thinking of like, you just need to do what's good for you. You just need to do what's good for you. You just need to figure out what's going to make you happy. That's kind of the, the popular thing. And when we're struggling, that's really what we look for. But that's not what we see in Scripture. Nothing will satisfy but, first of all, the presence of God and, and, and placing our life fully in Him. But as we, begin to know, as we begin to know Him, like, He inspires us and gives us purpose in serving others. Like, that, it's not, it's not about me. I, I love purpose-driven life. I've probably quoted this, I don't know how many times. He starts that first line in the purpose-driven life, Rick Warren. This is not about you. And in a culture that says this is all about you, what you've got a million choices for cell phone plans and carriers and everything and food. Drives me nuts when we get to these restaurants and the menu's huge. I'm like, I can't handle all the choices, right? Um, this isn't about us. This isn't about us. That in fact, our purpose, our purpose is that we live to build one another up as the body of Christ. We find our purpose in serving others. There's deeper things than just kind of the kind of surface level stuff. That God moves us to this place from where he's just transforming our heart and then we begin to make up our mind and we start really getting into this. We start really fighting for unity, making every effort. And all of a sudden, like, it just becomes who we are. It just becomes a part of our soul. It becomes a part of our spirit. It becomes a part of what it means to live and breathe. We find purpose in serving others. I want to end with this in Psalm 133. The psalmist says this, Song of Ascents of David, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It goes on. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. Is verse three there? Yeah. It's as if the dew of Hermon we're falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Like there is blessing, like there is anointing when we are unified. I wonder like what like what anointing would begin to pour out on this house, on maybe your house, your life. If man, we just begin to get unified, begin to begin to live together in unity. What would God? do in this place, like if we could really just set aside the, the elephants and just el- allow God to just grow us and bring us into freedom and unity. I wonder in this world that's like searching for like truth when it comes to family and just the brokenness that we all find in that sometimes and the struggle that, that there is, I wonder that they might just walk into the glorious family of God and experience family. I wonder in the midst of the chaos of the world, of everything and uncertainty, of all that's around us, I wonder if somebody might just wander into the house of God and experience peace for the very first time in their entire life as it's found in Jesus Christ. There's a lot of of specific things that we could talk about and spend hours diving into this stuff and dealing with very specific issues but I would just be pretty certain that most of us, there's something, there's someone that has just rubbed us. And is it an essential issue? Probably not. Maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe we need to talk that out. Many times they're disputable issues. They're things that Paul says, man, they shouldn't get in the way. They shouldn't get in the way. And I think in this teaching, I don't know that it was his, his heart, but man, it's connected right to the greatest commandment. It's connected right to it, to love the Lord your God with all your heart. He wants to do some heart things in us today, church. He wants us to make up our mind, not only to serve him, but to look around us, serve those around us, to make every effort for peace and mutual edification. It's the house I want to be in, because that's where God's blessing is. It's where God's blessing is. It says, like the dew of Herman would roll down the, the cheek on the, to the collar, the collar of Aaron. Aaron was a priest, man, he was a pastor. And man, it's my heart that we'd be unified for what God did. It was a, it's something that God started a long time ago and just planted in my heart that we'd be a body that unites the body of Christ and we wouldn't tear it down. So I don't know what God's doing in your life, but I want to ask you to stand today. I don't know what that elephant is in your life. I don't know what you're working through this morning in prayer. But I know that this text is about more than unity. It's about growth. It's about freedom. It's about love. It's about love for Christ and love for one another. And I know for every single one of us, he's calling us closer. One thing I've found is that there's a lot less conflict the closer we get to Jesus because we're just overwhelmed by his glory. My eyes are focused on something that's so much bigger, and I'm not worried about trivial things. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the chaos that maybe you're living in personally or emotionally, but this house will be a house of peace, be a house of mutual edification, of protecting one another as is the Lord's heart.